business owners likely will have only one shot to sell a business. Most don't understand what drives value and how buyers look at a business. Until now. Welcome to the How to Sell a Business podcast, where every week we talk to the subject matter experts, advisors, and those around the deal table about how to sell at maximum value. Every business will go to sell one day. It's only a matter of when. We're glad you're here. The podcast starts now. HVAC companies, that is probably one of the hottest markets there is these days in in the buying and selling world. And today, that's the topic we're going to address, um, the value and the sale of HVAC companies. I've been, I've had uh, Patrick Lang of the Business Modification Group on on my radar for a while, and you know what? The guy was, the guy was just willing to to come on and, and visit, and what a great visit it, he it was. I mean, not only not only was this episode so informative for those either thinking about selling HVAC companies or those that are buying. You know, he just provided an awful lot of information about, you know, just the mechanics of how this industry works. And the second thing is just what a good guy he was. I mean, just just totally transparent, totally open, you know, uh, a guy of abundance mentality. And we need more of those kinds of people out there. And and he, you know, he's, that's what he does. He's a, he's, he's a specialist. He's a specialist in selling HVAC companies across the country. And, you know, it's funny. So some of my colleagues are like, what in the world are you putting him on your podcast? Aren't you in the same industry? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the beauty of this guy. You know, he was, he's a, he's an abundance guy. There is so much work for all of us. Um, and I consider him now a resource. So if, if we get into a jam, um, or, you know, we're struggling with questions on the people we serve. I totally believe that, um, you know, he is a phone call away to, to, to help us out and he'll help the audience out too. I, I'm 100% certain that he is, he is that kind of guy. And, and, and so the business modification group, like I said, is they specialize in that. And, and Patrick was a, was an entrepreneur. So he knows in the industry. So he knows, he knows how this game is played. He knows the process from from start to finish. And that's what makes him a great deal guy. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Patrick Lang of the Business Modification Group. Well, welcome to the show, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I've been waiting a long time to get you on. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Um, one of the things that I started to talk about, and I didn't do it justice uh, in the introduction, is the business modification group. So if you don't mind, can you talk a little bit about your practice and and how you're serving this HVAC community? Yeah, absolutely. So my uh, my company, Business Modification Group, we uh, specialize in the sale and acquisition of heating and air companies nationwide. Um, we help those who are looking to acquire companies as well as those who are looking to retire or move on to something different, we help them find suitable buyers, value the company and go to market. So how did you find yourself in that space? It's kind of a long, long story, actually. So I've been a business broker for a number of years. 
and um, and I broke the the business broker rule, and I actually bought a heating and air company I had listed for sale. So so I had been a broker, had no industry experience in heating and air. Uh, bought a heating and air company, ran it for two years, and realized that I missed brokering and uh, heating and air wasn't really my passion. Where where doing deals and business brokering was. So when I went to go sell the company, I couldn't find any information to help me. I, if I couldn't find somebody who could give me a lot of data, um, couldn't find a lot of comps, couldn't uh, couldn't find a lot of information. We were a smaller company. Now, certainly for the companies that were doing $10, $20 million, there's plenty of people lining up to help. But, but on the smaller companies, which is what we were, I couldn't find any information. So long story short there, my son actually ended up buying me out. So my office is still inside of his office. I'm around the business all day, every day. And I decided to, to change my business just to working with heating and air. And I to me, it seemed to make sense. If I was selling flower shops, liquor stores, and heating and air today, I didn't feel like I could add value to all of them. <laughs> and so I thought by doing just heating and air, understanding the niche of the business, understanding the, the, the good and the bad of the industry, it would put me in a better spot to be able to help people. So that was seven years ago, I guess. Um, I switched my practice. Nice. I'm based in Florida. And initially it was just in Florida. And then I sold some in Florida and Georgia and then Georgia and the Carolinas and then ended up going nationwide. Good for you. Well, I'll tell you what, out of, you know, there's a, there's a number of requests for episodes and I would probably say in the top, top three is HVAC. So, so I guess that's where I want to start is, you know, what is the current state of the industry? I mean, the, it, because I know that there's there's kind of two 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 uh, parallel paths. You've got your residential and your commercial. So I guess it's a great time to be you in this space. So can you can you give kind of just you know what's going on with the industry? Yeah, absolutely. So there's been a lot of outside. Uh, I call them financial buyer interest, whether it's private equity groups or others sponsored type of buyers that have taken over. The, the, the market uh, over the last couple of years. Um, and and there's, there's a lot of different reasons. The fragmentation of the industry, kind of recession resistant. Um, people saw that during COVID, everybody that was at home still wanted their air conditioners working. And so most companies remained <laughs> profitable when many businesses were struggling. And so um, I think a lot of financial buyers saw that and saw it as an opportunity and started to, to get into the space. And so probably three quarters of the deals I've done the last two years were involving some type of financial buyer, whether it was a private equity group or a heating and air person, man or woman that was backed by a financial buyer or multifamily or family offices. So there's definitely been a lot of interest the last couple of years. Well, the funny thing is that there's such a, you know, everybody seems to be talking about owning an HVAC company. And so, you know, I'm uh, I'm from the I'm I guess I I'm from the standpoint of yeah I I'm not certain I I guess I'm curious to know from a from the um complexity of it you know what are the what are the factors like that you evaluate you know an HVAC shop I mean because I think that that people and this is just my opinion on the on the ones that we've seen you know, I think that there's a lot more than the buyers really understand until they're in it. And so, I so long question, 
to the you know the 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 extremely long questions you know what are these what are these factors that people are evaluating before they get into it yeah absolutely well the first one is most parts of the country most states require a license state of florida for example you've got to be in the business for three years before you can even sit for the exam so so there's licensing requirements in every state and there's a couple mm-hmm. of states who don't have them but now major municipalities within those states are creating their own licensing so there's licensing issues the other thing is it's a people business. You know, at the end of the day, you're dealing with technicians, you're dealing with suppliers, you're dealing with customers. So it's a an extremely labor intensive industry to be in. And finding quality talent right now is a challenge. You look at so many industries have an, an employee or a worker shortage and heating and air is definitely one of them. And so that's that's another yeah. thing they look at. Now, from a buyer's perspective, an educated buyer's perspective, there's, they're looking at different things within the business. How much of it is commercial versus residential? Because it really is a different business serving a commercial customer versus a, a regular homeowner. How much of it the revenue comes from construction? There's a lot of growth taking place across the country. A lot of heating and air companies are making money in heating and air. Most buyers are scared to death of new construction. They're worried about the next collapse of the real estate market. And so they're scared of that. So do they have sure. long-term yeah. maintenance agreements in place? Are there customers that, that are paying for their own loyalty with these maintenance agreements? Have their employees been there a long time? So there's, there really is a lot of moving parts in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, it's funny because the commercial HVAC world up here in Indiana is we, I mean, these commercial outfits are totally sucking the 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 any available staff from from you know competitors or or whomever that they can get to to fuel their job and you know it's not uncommon that that we're seeing you know a you know a five dollar five to fifteen dollar an hour jump in their hourly wage and it's it's really interesting because we we get targeted a lot to hey do we have any HVAC companies and and it's just from the standpoint of look it's easier to buy the help than it is to than than it is to go out and recruit and are, are you seeing that across the country or is this just a kind of an anomaly where I'm at no absolutely and I think that's what's helped drive uh, the acquisitions is just that I, you know they can go into a market and buy twenty employees rather than trying to go recruit twenty employees and so. Definitely. And and we'll see buyers, if there's not a lot of employees or a lot of employee tenure, they won't look at that business because that's a large part of what they're acquiring. Yeah. I, and that moves over to valuation. And, you know, from a, from an appraisal standpoint, being a guy that, that values companies a lot, it, it just seems as though the the investment behavior is so is bordering on irrational on people that are acquiring these types of companies. And and again, it's just I, I get it from a competition standpoint. I guess that that's where I'd I'd like to focus my next question is, you know, are you seeing people overpaying for deals right now? And Absolutely. if so, you know. When when are they going to come? When is it going to come down? And what what is the you know what is the consequences of the overpayment? 
So great question. And, and the, the short answer is absolutely. I see people overpaying. And, and you, it's two different types of buyers. However, if you're a, already in the heating and air business and you're doing 500 million or a billion dollars a year in sales, you can afford to potentially yeah. overpay a little bit because of all what right. you're going to get in the savings and cost of goods, insurance, all these other things. There's, there's um, you know, economies of scale there. And so for those people to do it, it makes more mathematical sense. Where I see the hazard is somebody trying to get into the business to just starting out overpaying because they're mm -hmm. not going to be able to have cheaper cost of goods. They're not going to be able to lower costs on these things because that's their first entry into the market. And so that's where I see the danger. Right. Now, the question about when do I see it coming down? Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately, my crystal ball works half as well as anybody else's. Um, but it, it, <laughs> the reality is it has to happen soon because, because of all the pressures outside, the interest rates, bank issues, employee issues, all these things that are happening are absolutely going to have an impact on the sale of the yeah, I, I agree. And you know, the funny thing is, like, especially you you alluded to the the you know the buyers where this is their first entry into entrepreneurship, and they got they got wrapped up in the competition with competing with some of these others that are growing through acquisition, and 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 they ended up being the winner because you know just by virtue of being willing to pay probably more than they should have. I guess my question is. I, how most of them are funded by the SBA. I'm just curious to know, you know, how how they some of these deals got penciled out. You know, how 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 did they manage to to get that level of funding as an individual buyer? And and again, it's <laughs> this is crystal ball stuff, but it just it just seemed so so atypical for a government agency to throw that much money at at this type of business. Did, uh, did you guys see it down your way too? Yeah, great question. And so I, a lot of the deals where I've seen people overpay, they weren't SBA deals. Um, I do a lot with Live Oak Bank and they've got a division that lands just on heating and air. So they know the market and know that segment extremely well. No. And and it and it wasn't it wasn't nearly as challenging obviously to get a deal at 3% interest as it is at 8% interest. And, and making it cash flow. Right. Um, and, and so in those environments, when SBA is involved, I've seen the seller have to be more creative and be willing to take some risk and, and hold a bigger note and, and put things on standby kind of stuff. So, so that's part of it. The other part where I've seen this overpaying is these guys that worked for huge private equity firms that were buying up heating and air companies. They saw it on their side and they've gone on their own got a little bit of backing from people they knew in the industry, and now they're out buying it. And so, so oftentimes there's not bank right. financing in place. It's, it's done through investor financing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, you know, and the, and the other side, you know, if I, if I'm a bank, I mean, I know there, this industry is not going away anytime soon. So, you know, the, the, the likelihood if I have to, to, you know, retake it or put it into receivership or whatever I have to do, chances are I'm going to recover some of my, some of, some of whatever I have outstanding. So I, I do, I do understand. I do understand that. I, it's just one of those funny things where, you know, and I'm certain you've seen them too, where it's like, 
oh my gosh, do you know how much, how much leverage you're putting on top of yourself? And, you know, welcome to, you know, welcome to small business ownership, you know? Yeah. You <laughs> know, and, and it, it is, it is what it. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Sorry about that, but the, you're, you're absolutely correct. You no, know, you're good. You're one good. of the reasons, one of the reasons I bought a heating and air company is a, a smarter man than me told me one time, you know, I've lived in Florida my whole life and I don't know a, a man brave enough to tell his wife in the summer, he's not fixing the air conditioner. You know I mean? It, that's, that, that's, it, it's, it's not an <laughs> right. option no, no. anymore. And, and so, and so that's one of the things, one is the, one of the good things about the industry. Um, it, but I, I think you're right, you know, with this leverage that people are putting on there and I, and I kind of preach to buyers is, you know, if you overpay, you're going to be chasing your tail the entire time. And many of these companies have had great years the last few years. People were home for COVID. They were investing money. Sure. There's plenty of money going around. So it may be on an inflated number of not what the business normally is going to do. And now you overpay on that. Right. And, and you're setting yourself up for a, a bigger challenge than you should. Yeah. And, and, and the funny thing is that, you know, it it all works out in the end. I mean, I we were just talking earlier. I mean, SBA has a, you know, a little less than two percent default rate, so you know it, you may not make as much money, but you know it 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 doesn't seem as though that there's as as much of a default alarm that I'm that I'm making it seem. But it just like I said, right. just as a as an appraisal guy, I sit there and and just cringe when <laughs> at some of these some of these valuations that I've seen, you know, it's like, wow, man, that is a lot of money for you to be risking, but such is life. I mean, that, that gives, that's gives you and me a reason to get up in the morning. Um, all right. So I'm, (laughs) so one of the things I I guess I want to now focus on the owner of the, of the company, you know, how, you know, what are the, the typical challenges that they face in 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 selling a company like this, I you know we all know that the guy that has him has you know health problems and things like that. But I guess I'm I'm looking at you know is there a way to prepare? Is there are there things that that the HVAC owners should be sensitive to? That you know these are the hot buttons that any buyer is going to be examining. Yeah, absolutely. So. So I preach every time I get to that there's four things that they should focus on. And, and, and many of these owners were technicians turned owners. So they great heating and air people, but never had any business training or business knowledge. They've just got up and gone to work every day and taken care of people, fed their family, made some money and done a great job. But nobody ever said, hey, this is what a buyer's looking for. And so I try to spend as much time as I can educating those people on that because they don't know where to go for that information. And it's four basic things. One is is focusing your business on service and repair, Um, building relationships with your customers that they call you as opposed to calling somebody else. The second thing is staying away from new construction. Once again, buyers are scared of new construction and won't pay much money for it. So I tell people to stay away from it. Not that you can't be in the business and make money doing construction, but if the ultimate goal is to sell, they're not going to pay you the most money for a business focused on new construction. So don't focus on that. The third one is to get themselves out of a van. 
So many businesses, the owner is the entire business and they don't really have a business. They have a high paying job and nobody calls me saying, hey, I want to work in the sun for 14 hours a day and then go home and do paperwork. And so putting people and putting those systems in place so that they can do that. And then the fourth thing, which probably should be the first thing, is cleaning up their books and records. As you know, Ed, and you look at tax returns all day, every day. Everybody likes to be creative when it comes tax time. And and I yeah. I jokingly say you can't get paid to steal twice. You can't steal from the federal government and expect somebody else to write you a check for it. And so so cleaning those things up. So I yeah. if somebody will do those four things and continue to grow their business, they'll absolutely have a big payday and they won't have a problem finding a buyer to buy their business. Yeah, I agree. So when you're when you're working with these types of buyers, um, I guess I'm I'm looking at, you know, I've always I've always looked at the buyer pool as you have your individuals, you have your strategics, and you have private equity. I mean, are 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 those the same buckets of buyers that you're seeing as buyers for H HVAC shops? Absolutely. Yep. Exactly. And and. Are, is their investment thesis or the, or the you know the reason and the and what they're willing to pay differ depend like for example I'm saying the financial buyers tend to be the lowest the the lowest paying ones strategics and private equity are kind of a toss up depending on where the economies of scale are I mean are you seeing like the I guess where I'm heading is the investment behavior of the the three buckets do they do they differ on how they approach the opportunity? And it may be based on size, but do, how, do, how, do they, how do they approach it? Yeah, um, absolutely there is. And, and, and so on some level, because the market has been so strong the last few years, in order to buy a company, many of these buyers are having to go above where they would normally be willing to go from a multiple or from a transaction standpoint. But definitely, I, I have a lot of people that'll look at a business and say, love the business, there's no way we can get close to that asking price. And that same week, I'll have three offers at or above ask. So yeah, there's definitely a difference in their theory and their math. And, 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 and size has something to do with it. Location has something to do with it. And I can tell you an operator, a regular operator that's buying, that's growing through acquisitions, is not going to pay nearly what the others will pay because they know what what bad days look like and bad months and and so they understand that yeah. entire side of it as well. Well, the yeah, and and one of the things that these different types of buyers, I I guess from from where I'm sitting, I'm just curious to know how um it's not so much you know the motivation behind why they're they're buying tends to to be you know to to be the driving factor but but from a if I'm a business owner you know how do I how do I expose the business to those different types of buyers w without anchoring myself to a lower value I mean, I I know up here, like some of the larger deals, you know, we 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 seldom put an asking price on it just because every everybody's going, you know, we'll do the valuation work on the back on the front end, but you know, we go to to market without an asking price. Is that 
Is that the best way to to make sure that you're exposing it to all three buckets of of buyers for maximum value, or should you just you know just you know here's my number. Let's see who's gonna who's gonna I don't want to say bite, but who who does it make sense for? Yeah, you know what? I see a lot of successful brokers like you who go to market without an ask. That's never been something that I've done. Um, I'm a lot of my deals are smaller deals. Um, and, and so with those people, I want to make sure that, that when an offer comes in, they understand what they're saying yes or no to. And so by doing the value mm-hmm. at the front end and saying, here's, here's the range we believe that it's going to sell in and here's the why behind it. Are you okay there or not? Because if you're not, there's no sense going through market. You know how much work it is, how much, how emotional it is dealing with buyers and sellers and all the process that goes through that. So, so my preference has been to, to set the price and go to market. Potentially, do, are we losing something that somebody may have been willing to pay more? I think that could, that potentially could happen, but. But by me doing heating and air all day, every day, looking at these deals, looking at the numbers, tracking it so well, I'd like to believe, um, and I'm pretty darn confident that where we're going to market is where we're supposed to be. And you know what? I'm I'm also, I mean, to cut you off there, I'm I'm also not the broker that says, it's a $1 million business. Let's price it at 10 million and see if we can get somebody to buy it. I want right. I want both sides walking away feeling that they got a fair deal. And this is somebody's legacy that yeah. they're taking over. And I want them to be able to feel comfortable, yep. call the buyer to call the seller and say, hey, Mrs. Smith had a question. And I want the buyer to be willing to answer the phone. Because if, if it became this brutal negotiation yep. of somebody had to lose, I think you lose some of that. And so all of that yeah. ties into my yeah. rationale, whether it's right or wrong, that's that's what, you know, I, I want everybody to, to leave as friends and think that I made too much money in the transaction. And so if that happens, then everybody's okay. <laughs> well, you know what? And, and I'm with you and I'm glad, and I'm glad you, you said it. And, and often, oftentimes, um, yeah, oftentimes you, you bump into a situation where, you know, this is the behavior of an investment bank as opposed to, uh, you know, a, a business brokerage. And to me, I I'm I'm in your camp. I think it, it's it's better to go to market. You know, this is this is what pencils out. This is this is a deal, and and we can make the numbers work. And we all understand that ha- the numbers have to work in order for it, you know, to get a successful deal. So so being elusive of the asking price to me, I, I I'm with you. I think it's a I don't think you're doing yourself a favor because the first question is how much are they looking for? So why don't we we just cross that bridge right now? You know? Yeah. And it's on the front page of every, every summary I send out said, here's what the asking price is. And and it either makes sense or it doesn't. And it has to make mathematical sense for both sides. And if it does, let's keep talking. And if it doesn't, it's just not the right deal for you. Yeah. So, Earlier, we were talking about books and records. So on financial performance, I, I know we, we bumped into COVID. Uh, I think there's kind of, everybody kind of got their arms around with, all right, this kind of stress tested the business. And that's, and that's a good thing. 
um, you know, these either extremely high highs or extremely low lows, we, we recognize 20 and 21 are probably outliers, either good or bad. And so we just carve them out. But when you look at your, at the financial performance, you know, what are, I mean, are you, are you taking, look, these are all the data points of all the companies I've sold, and this is how you stack up against them. And are there any particular KPIs that you're sitting there going, yeah, this, if you, if you're going to track something, this is what you need to be tracking. Yeah. A couple things. Um, first is going to be gross profit. Um, with, with COVID and supply chain issues and equipment costs have gone up drastically. Um, and many owners I've seen haven't kept pace with those, those rising prices. So tracking their, their gross profit to make sure that they're charging what they should be charging. Cause then at the end of the day, it all falls down to the bottom line anyways. And so that net income, right. as well as, um, a breakdown of, of revenue from, from service versus repair um, and installation, as well as any new construction exposure. Once again, we're trying to minimize that or eliminate that. And then how many maintenance agreements are in place mm -hmm. um, is another thing. And we're also seeing now direct correlation to online Google reviews. So uh, buyers are, when they get the packet yeah. from me, one of the first place they're going is Google and saying, what's the general public saying about them publicly? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. We just, we just, uh, at, at my home, we just had, had our HVAC service and I'm telling you, you know, they were, you know, they were right on us uh, as far as Google reviews, give us the stars. I mean, that guy wasn't, I don't think he was out of the driveway and, and we were getting that, which to me, my, and, and where I'm heading with it is, is the technology side. It seems it seems as though those folks that that have that streamlined process are I have to assume that they're they're more valuable just just by virtue of you know it's it's streamlined it, it there's a process rather than hey I get back to the shop and oh I got to contact Ed and see if he'll give us a Google review let me drop him an email or a quick call instead you know here's a text here's the link you know give us five stars how was Tyler was he good you know, all the all those all those prompts that that reduce the friction for them to get the Google reviews because I, I agree with you. I th I do believe that there's a direct correlation to premium pricing, you know, premium value as well as premium pricing when you when you have a thousand Google you know five star reviews on Google. Perfect. So so yes, it it does make the business more valuable with those systems in place because then it allows somebody with in no industry experience. If there's a system there for them to buy and plug right into, and many are doing that with technology, with CRM systems and those types of things um, to be able to make sure that Google review is getting sent out. And when when the technicians on the way to your house, they you get a text saying, here comes Jim. He likes long walks on the beach and spending time with his wife and, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's automated. <laughs> yeah, it's right. it's all automated, and um, and so those investments in those in in those businesses have a big impact, and, and it translates directly to the bottom line. Many of the I'm going to say this politely, many of the older owners that are that are pure technical <laughs> guys don't do any of that stuff and don't think it's important and think it's a waste of time and money, and those are 
where people with no industry experience can come in with some technological experience, can buy a company like that, often buy it cheaper because they're not getting the profit potential that they could be getting if they had these systems in place and able to grow that business right. rapidly. So those are some of the success stories on the buyer side. Yeah, you know what? And it's funny. And you and those those businesses without websites, those businesses, um, though all all those types of businesses that are out there, you know, that are lacking technology, you know, those are prime targets for for the the folks that can bring some technology, and they they get wonderful wonderful deals um, as a result of it because they can immediately bring you know efficiencies and 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 a different a different skill set um you know to amplify you know the the growth of the business and subsequently value um dependency you know it's funny you know we we always talk about you know the the business owner kind of being being the guy when there's when there's this many when there's such a demand for this type of work um meaning employees you know it, to me it seems like the risk increases with with you know though with those employees being flight risk so i guess i'm i'm curious to know have you seen any any means that these business owners have been able to retain the the talent because that's a direct you know that will be a direct relationship to to their value the ones that I see that do the best job at it typically train their own employees in-house. So they hire for attitude and train for aptitude. They bring somebody in with no industry experience whatsoever. And they either through a, a school they have in their own business, train them through the to become a, a technician or send them off to other schools. Um, but that seems to be the the biggest sticking point because now that technician hasn't been at 10 other companies and doesn't have anything to compare it to. He hasn't been around the, the, this place stinks guy and I'm going over to this company because they're a lot better kind of stuff. You know, he, they, they haven't been exposed to all that or the bad habits that come with it. And that young guy typically is what it is or girl is they'll normally not have a career path someplace else. And they're able to bring them in often at 12 or $15 yeah. an hour. And within a couple of years, they can be making $100,000 a year. And so they've given them something. They've changed their life. And so that's what I've seen work best across the board. Nice. And, and you know, it's funny you say that because we, I, I know a number of companies within, within in our market area that are trying to do the same thing that, you know, we'll bring you in. We're going to teach you. We're going to, you know, just like you said grow you into our business. And I, and I think that's a, I think that's a fabulous way to do it. Um, the, the priorities, this is, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a HVAC guy and, you know, you just sit there and you're like, oh my gosh, not another, another, another guy with a podcast telling me another thing I need to do. So having, having said that, um, what are some of the what are some of the priorities that HVAC companies should spend their time on if they're going to focus on on doing something? What should it be? 
Yeah. You know, once again, I'd go back to the four things that I said before. Um, I think the easiest okay. one to start with and the one that has the biggest impact is cleaning up their books. I mean, that's something that they can do in-house. Yeah. Stop having the business, stop treating the business like your personal checking account. Um, and, and that's not just heating and air. That's any business, you know. I mean, I think that that so often we get ingrained in us that minimizing taxes is the ultimate goal. When it's time to sell, that's not the ultimate goal. And so that would right. be where I would start. Um, getting themselves, the next would probably, if they're a small company, getting themselves out of the van because you could only fix so many air conditioners. And once again, if you're doing right. it all, you don't have a business, you have a job. Um, and so that would be next, staying away from the construction um, and then and then focusing yep. on the service repair and maintenance agreements. But cleaning up the books is where is really the biggest impact. Um, and, and, and you you could probably testify to that in all the businesses you look at. If you yeah, have sure. a clean set of tax returns versus a where's Waldo of trying to find where the profit was in my ex-wife's mother's right. condo that I'm paying for in Florida and all these crazy things that they run through. Um, and, and so that would really right. be the place to start. Yeah. You know, and the, the funny thing, and we didn't, we didn't talk multiples and I know multiples change, um, you know, but I was, I, I try to explain to the business owner, like, you know, just let's just say, you know, you have a, a, a four multiple. I mean, look for, for just for the sake of, of argument, you know, when you, when you increase your profitability by 20%, that's that you get four turns on that 20% versus worrying about the valuation multiple. You know, everybody shows up here and they're, they're telling me, you know, what the multiples are. And I'm sitting here saying like you, why don't you stop worrying about the multiples and start worrying about your books and records? Because that's going to make a greater impact than, than certainly these multiples. So I, I'm assuming you, you know, I'm pontificating, but I'm assuming you're in the same camp with that. Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, putting that into real numbers, let's assume that they're, you know, they're saving, they're, they're being creative with a hundred thousand dollars of income that could be profit. You know, maximum they're saving thirty eight thousand dollars on that. Use your four multiple. If they would sold it, it would be four hundred thousand dollars. So, so they're giving right. up four hundred thousand yeah. to save thirty eight thousand in taxes. I mean, right. it just mathematically, it never makes right. sense to do it that way. But I, once again, I think it's been ingrained in us that save taxes, save taxes, save taxes instead of be profitable, be profitable, be profitable. Do you, do you think the exit planning, that exit planning works well in HVAC? I, I personally, I don't want to say I don't. I think I, the point of the question, I, I keep on seeing, you know, those industries where there's a lot of market, where there's, you know, there, you know, where there is, hey, I know that there's a market for my business. It seems as though there's not a whole lot of planning that that happens. Do you, do you, do you find that the same um, in the HVAC space? Yeah, I do. But I, I think, I think by not planning, people are leaving so much money on the table. We know we're talking multiples. Oh yeah. I've sold in the last 12 months. I've sold some companies for a two-time multiple and I've sold two companies for a 13-time multiple. We're talking millions and wow. millions of dollars of difference in what they're putting in their bank account at the end of that sale. And one 
because yeah. he was around people who were telling him, here's what you need to focus on. Here's what buyers want. Here's how you have to do it. And the other one didn't know anything existed and just assumed that it, he heard these other people getting 10 time multiples. And so he was too. And so um, I, I think there's not a lot of it and there's not enough of it that takes place, but there should be. Yeah. And I think people are leaving lots of money on the table by not doing it. I agree. I do agree. And I, the funny thing is that I saw, I saw the uh, Pepperdine uh, private capital markets survey for the, for the first quarter. And the survey said that 70% of the people that sold their business had done zero exit planning. I mean, just went to the market. They said, yeah, you know, today's the day. And to me, that is just astounding. And I totally agree with you that, you know, if, if nothing better, you know, have that exploratory conversation with you and say, all right, you know, what, what does this look like? You know, if I go to market, you know, and, and I'm certain you have enough data points that you can say, yeah, this, you know, this is kind of where, what, what the market, how it's going to behave toward your particular business. I mean, I, I, I got to believe that you do that all the, all the time, don't you? All, all day. And, and, and I go to every heating and air convention there is <laughs> across awesome. the country and I stand on a stage and I say, I don't care if you want to retire 10 years from now, call me now and let's start looking at your numbers. Even if you don't do business with me, understand what buyers yeah. are looking for, because the reality is, as you and I both know, for most people, it's the biggest sale of their life. And for most people, they've never done 100%. it before. So if you've got the biggest sale of your yeah. life and you've never done it before, it would make sense to me to spend 10 minutes with somebody and say, hey, what is it worth? And what would it be worth a couple of years from now? Just ask those two questions and, and we can steer sure. them in enough in the right direction that it would have been the best 10 minutes of their life. Because if they would just listen to a little bit of it, three years from now, five years from now, it's going to be worth so much more, even yeah. if they never do business with us. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, in fact, I was, I was on a, a, a similar stage and I said, here's what you're up against. Let, let's look at these professional buyers right now that are just out looking for deals, just like you. They look at 100 SIMs or for our audience, that, that's the marketing information that that people like us give to qualified buyers. So you have a, at least a hundred Sims that they've reviewed. They've made seven offers to get one deal. So just going into the sale process, if I'm a seller, I've got somebody that has a hundred reps over me. Like, I mean, that has, have looked at, have act, actively engaged with a seller. So that seller is so woefully outgunned when they hit the market and and that's how they take it on the chin and they and they just don't know it they they they're glad that they sold but they have no idea how much money they just left on the table because those got the people that are looking at them are professional buyers and they know they you know they know <laughs> what they're doing and they know the hot buttons because they have the reps behind them to do it so Absolutely. I'm, I'm with you my friend yeah <laughs> and, and and i Go ahead. I couldn't agree more. No, I couldn't agree more, you know, with these professional buyers. I mean, these are Harvard MBAs, the CPAs. They can do more with a spreadsheet than, than I have any clue. And, and they know my <laughs> seller's numbers better than my seller does. And so I, I tell them, you're going to go pick a fight with somebody who spent the last 12 years in school analyzing financial data. And it's and like you've said, they've looked at more tax returns in the last two weeks than most of my sellers ever have in their life. 
And now you're going to go get an argument on how much business, how much your business is worth and how much money you're making. Yep. Yeah. And, and the only, and the only leverage you have, Mr. Seller is that you, you have the business, but they have the, they have the checkbook to, to get you out of there. And then, and you know, and we, unfortunately, especially with the aging demographic, especially in these HVAC businesses, you know, these people are aging, aging out. And the last thing you want, you know, I've broken, and I'm certain you have too. I've broken a lot of hearts with, with value. You know, this is what the value of, this is the likely selling price of your business. They say, oh, hell, I'll I'll go back. I'm going to keep it for a while. And then all of a sudden health, we've got a health situation. And now all of a sudden that, that value has gone just right out the door because of all the things you've already mentioned, as far as, you know, being part of the business, not getting out of the truck, there's nothing we can do, you know, you, but you just don't want that value penalty if it can be avoided. So sad. I, I, I joke and I, it is a YouTube video. I did a YouTube video on it. It's called your baby's ugly. And, and, there, and I, I did it as a joke just because it helps <laughs> take my mind off of it. But you, you know, sitting across the table from somebody saying, hey, you've spent your entire life building this and there's no value. This baby of yours, nobody wants. Yeah. And, and that's, if you would have called me 10 years ago, I could have saved you from all this or called somebody. And even if it's not me, yeah. just call somebody so you know what you're building potentially can have value. Yeah. And, um, and it's yeah. sad to have to sit and have those conversations. And so that's kind of my, my mission is to at least get people the information so I don't have to keep having as many of them. 100%. And, you know, and, and again, you know, it, it, you know, folks like you do it right. You know, and that's, that to me is, is, is really, is really the, the big, the biggest difference is that, you know, this is, this is a consultative process. I mean, the chemistry may not work between you and me, but the bottom line is you need, you need, before you go to the market, you got to educate yourself on what you're looking at. And it does, and it may hurt your feelings (laughs) and that value may not correlate to your retirement plans, but nevertheless, at least, you know, what you're looking, what, what, what's going to happen. All right. You got time for a couple more questions? Absolutely. All right. So we haven't talked, we talked a little bit about customers, residential versus commercial. Um, but I guess, I guess, how do you diversify your clientele? I mean, who, what's the best way to, to do that? I mean, is it, is it look, steer clear from the, and you, you've said it a couple of times to steer clear from new construction. So that's one way to, to, to diversify your customer base is not to engage in, in those large, you know, new construction projects, but any other ways or, and, and I'm speaking for you and I may be totally off, but any other ways that, that you, if I'm a seller, what do I need to diversify in order to make it more appealing? The reality is diversification is typically not very beneficial when selling a heating and air business. Buyers love simplicity. Um, and the same thing over and mm-hmm. over again. So many people would think, well, it'd be good to have some commercial and good to have residential. Well, the reality of that is now you've got a technician who has to be trained in different things. So we've already realized it's hard to get technicians. Now try to find one who can fix refrigeration and Mrs. Smith's 
air conditioner or house. And that's, that's two different animals oftentimes. Also, the way the business model is set up, you know, if your focus is on commercial, oftentimes you have to be 24 hour company and, and many times respond in under an hour to, you know, if, if a restaurant's got a hundred thousand dollars of food in their freezer, they can't wait till tomorrow and tough it out till you get there. They need somebody there to fix it immediately. And so, right. so, so they're different business models. And and really, buyers love the simplicity. Either all of one, all commercial and doing that extremely well, or all residential and doing that extremely well. Now, there's certain scenarios okay. where commercial will bleed over into residential, where it's a small unit on an office kind of th- stuff. So it's really residential equipment. We'll classify it as commercial, but it's really just residential equipment yeah. on a commercial building. And so that doesn't take away from value, but certainly diversification does. I get it. So I guess I, I want to wrap it up a little bit from a, from a success story. And I guess I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in, you know, one, one of those, one of those pinnacle type deals that, you know, and, and, and we, we have some of those and I guess I'm just curious you specializing in this space. I'm curious to know, you know, what, what is at the top of the heap of, you know what, this was a great, great deal. And can you give me the story behind it? Yeah. So I, I had a seller who was actually a buyer of mine. Um, He owned a decent sized heating and air company. And when I would list small heating and air companies in his area, he would potentially buy them. So he bought two or three companies from me. Um, and we, and this happened over years, number of years. And, uh, he would always pick my brain about what are you seeing in the market? What should I do with this? How about that? And he was always inquisitive, always asking, you know, where's the market at? What, what about this? What, what does a buyer think of this? And, um, and he said, you know, I'm probably still five years off from selling, but if, if the numbers ever get stupid, call me. And I said, okay, well. <laughs> And then, and then he, the market kept heating up. So this was probably six years ago initially, maybe seven years ago, something along those lines. Um, and then um, I listed a bigger company by him and he saw the listing and called me and said, wow, that seems a little overpriced. And I said, well, you know, you and I were talking about the market getting stupid, you know, keep an eye on it. So um, a buyer called me to buy the other listing and said, listen, it's a little small. If you have something else there, excise. And this was a strategic buyer backed by private equity doing a billion dollars a year in heating and air probably um, at the time. And they said, if, if you have anything within these parameters, uh, we'd be interested. And I said, well, I've got something within those parameters, but it's going to take a lot of money to buy it. And, um, and they said, well, you know, what's a lot of money? And I said, well, I think if you probably, you're probably looking at a 11 or 12 time multiple. And they're like, wow, we'll do it. So I called him up and said, hey, you said if it ever got stupid, it's stupid. And he said, where's it at? And I said, they agreed to a 12 time multiple. He said, I tell you what, if they'll go to 13, they can own it. And uh, they did. And they bought the company out and oh, he retired early on what I would think is a pretty crazy multiple for, I mean, the company was doing uh, about a and million it. and a quarter in net earnings. 
So it wasn't a huge company. Wow. Um, but but he was able to certainly cash a very nice check. Wow. And and the the multiple you're referring to, that that's on on net or EBITDA? <clears throat> on seller discretionary earnings. On SDE. No. No way. That is insane. You know, the funny thing is, you know, I was telling you that uh, I I wanted you to 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 meet a a um um you know my my friend Marsha Barnes of Valve and Meter who who specializes in in this kind of work in marketing of of uh, HVAC companies, and she had at, she she had asked me about about multiples that and and I. <laughs> I I always assume it's EBITDA when it gets that high, but SDE that what a crazy wonderful, you know what great for you, great for him. I just I didn't I've never seen SD a multiple of SDE that high. What a what a oh my gosh, good good for you and good for him. Yeah, they they how wanted about, it. He had it. How, and- how, how are they doing? <laughs> Yeah, well, they're still pretty big, so they're doing okay. It was a it was a good deal for them. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, good on good for them for yeah. everybody. Truly. Right, they all left happy. Um, that's what I asked for. So that's that's all that matters. So my my last question I've 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 asked it, yeah, you know, for all eighty five episodes now that. Um, you know, what's the one piece of advice that you'd give listeners that would have the most immediate impact on their business? And so I, I don't want to speak from you, speak for you, um, but I'm I'm assuming you're going to go back to the, the, the four things that you mentioned. If you're a seller, All right? Absolutely. You got something you, you've been holding. Yeah. If you're a seller or, or are you holding out for for the grand finale? No, I, I, I wish I should have. I should have put that one in my back pocket. No, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, if you're a seller. That that's those are the things that I would do. It's so simple, but people aren't doing it. And that's why I keep preaching it, preaching it, preaching it, because it's easy to do, but it's also easy not to do. And so um, if they would do it and, and I think it, it, so. And then a little nugget for buyers is is don't get emotional um, and worry about missing a deal. I think I see people overpay because they're afraid of, there's not going to be another one. There's a lot of heating and air companies out there and a lot of them come up for sale and don't overpay for something because you're afraid that somebody else is going to get it. It needs to make mathematical sense for you. So on both of them, it's kind of watch the numbers, but from a different angle, I guess. Yeah, well, that's a good one. So my next question is, I shouldn't say my next question, but it is a question is what's the best way we, we can connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm active. I'm my website, of course, businessmodificationgroup.com. I'm active on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on YouTube. I've got a YouTube channel where I do little minute, two minute videos um, on buying and selling in the heating and air space and things to look at. So, so reach out any of those areas. I'm happy to help any way I can. Well, we'll, we, we will have all of that in the show notes and and uh especially the the your baby's ugly video <laughs> so it's on there we'll, we'll make sure we've got that one <laughs> right right on well patrick i i like i told you 
from the get go that uh, this is one one of those industries that everybody is dying to talk about, and I and I'm so grateful that uh, we had the, the the chance to to chat. You were you were every every bit of uh, every bit as good as I had hoped you'd be. So thank you for to, for taking your time and and helping the audience. Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. I mean that. If anybody, if I can help anybody, reach out. If there's anything I can do, even if you're 10 years off from retirement, I'm happy to point you in the right direction. And uh, and I'd love an opportunity to help. So thank you for letting me come on. I had a great time. Well, well, it, it, it was it was a great time. And I look forward to to getting down to Florida, and meeting you in person one of these days. So thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a fantastic day. You too, my friend. Thank you for joining us today on the How to Sell Your Business podcast. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to help sell your business for the maximum value, visit howtosellabusinesspodcast.com for tips and best practices to make your exit life-changing. Better yet, subscribe now so you never miss future episodes. This program is copyrighted by MISO Inc. All rights reserved. 